Can you all hear me okay? Do I need to raise raise it up any? Good morning, brothers and sisters. Sure good to see everybody here today. That last hymn we sang, The Days Are Quickly Flying, is part of the theme. But you know, the days are quickly flying, and then shall come the end. And that's what we're looking forward to. Because we need to see what it means with the days that are quickly flying. We need to see what it means to be the end. We also need to reflect upon our inner selves to see if we are prepared for these days that are quickly flying and prepared for the end. I'd like us to start out and turn to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to read the first 14 verses. While we're looking this up, I want to thank everybody for the cards. For my recent illness, I'm fine. As a matter of fact, I'm excited about something that some of y'all have probably been excited about yourselves. June 3rd, I'm retiring. I'm really looking forward to that. Get to be with my bride. We can do some things together. Okay, let's look at Matthew chapter 24. It says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the signs of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Keep that thought in mind. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. When I was researching this topic this morning and other topics we'll talk about later. I couldn't help but be drawn to the 
events that are going on right now in this world. Events that have been going on for years, the last, say, 10 or 15 years, that have really caused us to become focused on prophecy, fulfillment of prophecy, and to make us realize the days are quickly flying. I want to show you a couple articles I came across. Before we do that, but I want us to keep ourselves thinking about the many signs of our times that point to the return of Christ. Think about the trumpeter who's polishing up his horn, getting ready to call the followers of Jesus to judgment. Think about the anxiety for the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, Jesus Christ as king. Do we have an anxiety for that? Are we hoping for that? Anticipating that? Looking at current events? Becoming anxious for it? Are we ready for it? Anybody in here not ready for the kingdom? Raise your hand. No hands went up. Anybody here ready for the kingdom? Raise your hand. There we go. That's what we're talking about. Thinking about these things. Some thoughts here I want us to talk about on how he will be received by Earth's population. We'll be talking about those as we go on. But look at this article I found here in the paper. Some some notable news. Fear and foreboding in the Middle East. Here's an article from from Britain. It says, The Middle East is full of talk of war. Not today, tomorrow, or perhaps even next year. The horizon is dark, and the people who have to live with the Middle East grim collection of smoldering problems are finding it hard to look ahead with anything other than foreboding. Are we looking at these things with foreboding? Are we looking with things, these things as saying, wow, prophecy's really being fulfilled. We can see it happening. Isn't that exciting? And then there's this crisis that between the United States, Israel, and the Palestinians, Benjamin Netanyahu, he says, Disastrous visit to Washington, D.C. has exposed just how this bad this crisis in the current U.S.-Israeli relations are. This is what is even more serious is that it is centered on the future of Jerusalem, which is about the single most emotive issue in the entire Middle East. The single most emotive issue. That was an article. Nahum tells us, The Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. We trust in Him. If we didn't trust in Him, we would be of all men most miserable. But I'm not miserable. I'm excited. There's another article that I wanted to bring up. Tens of thousands could die in a quake in Israel. This was an article that appeared. Uh, it's called an article in Israel the United States. It says the Knesset Interior Committee and a subcommittee of the Knesset Foreign Affairs and the Defense Committee held a joint session on the dangers of an upcoming earthquake in Israel and ways to deal with them. This committee presented a position paper warning of an apocalyptic situation that could result from the next quake to hit Israel. A million apartments and thousands of public buildings uh, could collapse in the event of a strong earthquake, it said. The current national plan to reinforce apartment buildings known as the Tama 38 does not help Israel's prepared, does not help Israel preparedness for this earthquake. Earthquakes have occurred in Israel 
on an average of once every 80 years in recent centuries. Israel sits on one of the largest fault lines in the world called the Syrian-Africa Rift. And it's certainly that a major earthquake will eventually strike that region. This is a newspaper, an article that appeared. I didn't make this up. This is something that appeared. It was on the news. This is something that people are noticing. We know about earthquakes. We know about these things because it says in Isaiah, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be made low and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly abolish and they shall go in the holes of the rocks, the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake terribly the earth. Of course, we're familiar with uh, different prophecies speaking about these earthquakes. But a major earthquake, we're familiar with the one from Ezekiel. And at another time, I'd like to share with you some thoughts on what's going to happen when that earthquake occurs and when it occurs. But let's go on a little bit. How about us? For us, his coming should be a time of expectation and a time that is of joy unimaginable. Are we joyous today or are we worried? Are we scared today? Because we need to take time for self-introspection, preparing our minds. For instance, are we really a faithful follower? As we see these days quickly flying, are we really a faithful follower? Are we really ready for our master and king? Third class today, I'll invite you to remember this particular phrase. Are we eager for the coming kingdom? Think about the hymn 121, Joy cometh, O that were come, to wake the song that now is dumb, to rouse a mourner and soothe who weep and bring again the dead who sleep. Are we thinking about these things? Do we have to be refocused all the time to think about them? Or is it just a natural thing? Is it just natural to see these events happening and say, that's supposed to happen. God's in control. You can see it. Brother Adam spoke about the ten virgins last evening. I want to go through that again. Let's go over to Matthew 25, first 13 verses. Because there's some points in here that I think will connect with what Brother Adam had to say last night. And I hope to reinforce the importance of being aware of these latter days and being prepared. It says, beginning at verse 1 in Matthew 25, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. The wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. When the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, 
Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch ye therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Five of those virgins will find great joy at the marriage when the bridegroom came. Five of them were prepared. Is that a lesson? Five were ready. They knew the bridegroom was coming, but they knew they had to be prepared for his coming. They knew they had to be ready to to go when he called them. Okay? They were alert to it. They were watching. They were paying attention to the things around them. They had their lamps ready. They had their material ready. Five would not go into the marriage. Five would not. Are we amongst that group that would not? Or are we prepared? Have we been preparing ourselves? Because it all starts starts from your rebirth, your baptism, preparing. Before that even, you're preparing. Making yourself aware of the necessity of having that knowledge which is so essential for salvation. And being prepared to move forward with that. That knowledge to build upon the next. And to build upon the next. It's just like a progression. And it never stops. It never stops. Because when you stop and set it aside, the lamp will go out, as Brother Adam mentioned last night. You have to keep yourself prepared. The five foolish waited to the last moment after the warning cry. They waited to the last moment. They knocked anxiously at the door. They cried out, Let us in! We want to be part of this. They weren't prepared. Look at the rejoinder. Companion Bibles Martin says, I've never got to know you. Wouldn't that be awful to hear Christ say, I never got to know you. You weren't prepared for me. I don't know who you are. Depart. They were not allowed to go in. Let's look on. How about the majority of the human race today? We're going to try to draw these things together. They know not God and obey not the gospel. They could know God. They could know the gospel. They could. You know, Jesus gives us a clue about this in Matthew 24. But we're still there. Let's just look there for a moment. It's 69, 36 and 39. It says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and not paying attention to the signs of times, not being prepared. That doesn't just apply to the world. It applies to the brotherhood. We need to be prepared. We need to be awake and watching. But those that know not God and obey not the gospel, it won't be a flood that's going to take them away. Because you look over in Jeremiah chapter 25. Let's run over there for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 25. Looking at verse 30 through 33. And you're going to find that Old and New Testament complement each other so well. They strengthen us so much. We can get so much information from Old and New Testament alike. I like to go to the Old Testament to have the New Testament prove it. I like to see the prophecies of the Old Testament reiterated in the New Testament and then to see them fulfilled or see them about to be fulfilled. But I also like to see the types, the types and shadows that we can see in the prophecies or in the examples what the nation of Israel went through or what other kingdoms that came against the nation of Israel went through. I like to see how they fit in as a type pointing to the events of today. The things that we're going to be living through. In Jeremiah chapter 25 beginning at verse 30 Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words and say to them the Lord shall roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation He shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout as they that tread the grapes against the inhabitants of the earth. A noise shall shall come even to the ends of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with the nations. He will plead with all flesh. He will give them that are wicked to the sword, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, evil shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind shall be raised up from the coast of the earth. And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth, even unto the other. And they shall not be lamented, neither gathered, nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground. This morning at breakfast, we were having a discussion. You know, in uh, Revelation, it talks about how the, the slain from one end of the earth, the other like it does in Jeremiah... It says that the blood would be to the depth of the horse's bridle. Sometime have some fun. Try to figure out how many gallons of blood it would take to be to the horse's bridle. And how many people would have to die in order for that depth to be attained. It's a fun exercise. There's some engineering students in here that have been working on that. It's a lot of fun. But... Here again, we have the rejoinder. We have the prophecy of the Old Testament uh, making the New Testament prophecy of Christ accurate because the world's going to have a changed outlook. They're going to have to. Okay? No longer will they be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and not involved with the trivial pleasures of sin for a season. Kingdom age is going to be exciting. People will be told, this is the way to walk you in it. We don't have that today. 
We don't see that today. We see the exact opposite of that today. The days are quickly flying. And so, imagine the reverse of what we see in today in the kingdom age for a season. <clears throat> What's the response? Jesus says, shall the tribes of the earth mourn? In Matthew 24, 30. Meaning they will lament and they'll wail and they'll beat their breast in grief because they see Christ. They see the kingdom age. They see what they missed out on. But we could miss on, out on that too. We could be of all men most miserable in this sense of the word as well. Did you ever think for a minute at the judgment if you're rejected? How would you feel if you hadn't prepared yourself for the judgment? How would you feel I never got to know you. How would that make you feel? Something else to think about in the kingdom age. Picture in your mind the temple city. The mortals coming, bringing their sacrifices. The sacrifices taken up to the altar. The fire from heaven to fall and consume the sacrifices. But it doesn't fall which means somebody's sacrifice wasn't proper. Imagine a mortal, and there may be as much as a million people there, and the fire does not consume the sacrifices. What are they thinking? Was my sacrifice not appropriate? Well, related to today, and how we should be thinking, is our mindset such that it would be acceptable? Has our preparedness been enough? Are we paying attention to these days that are quickly flying to the intent that we understand that we have to be prepared? But imagine, I never got to know you. Depart from me be cast out into utter darkness, weeping and wailing, lamenting. Many will become unsure of their faith in God's hand when they see the kingdom set up. But we can be confident. We can be confident of how God's going to be working. Because they're going to find like destruction of their churches, false religious systems, the Babylonian influence is going to be destroyed. Think about that. Isn't that something to be considering? Today we don't see that happening, but we know it's going to happen. And the more we pay attention to the signs of the times that point to these last days, the more excited we can become. The more anxious we can become. Because it's going to get to a point where it's almost going to be unbearable. And we're going to be challenged to remain steadfast and unmovable. We're going to be challenged to have ourselves prepared and ready for that moment. But the world's response in the kingdom age, they're going to be absolutely have their minds blown when they see what's going to happen. They're not going to have much choice. It says in Revelation 18, 23, 
for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. You know, the gospel and the truth is a wonderful thing. And when you look down on how it has been abused through the centuries, is another indicator of how the days are quickly flying. How the truth can be lost. But the truth was not lost. It's that fiber of history. It's that fiber that was left for God to have left so that we can see down through the centuries his plan and purpose was always in front of those that were willing to take the time to learn it, to acknowledge it, to accept it, and to live it. And to, by the example of that truth, to encourage us to become students of his will. And do we do that? Are we really doing that? Are we applying ourselves that way? I pray we are. Because the days are quickly flying. Think about some of the attempts. Revelation 17, 14, it says some will attempt to make war against the destructive work of God. There's going to be those that are going to challenge. They're going to challenge the kingdom. They're going to challenge the setting up of the kingdom. Can you imagine that? How foolhardy is man? How foolhardy is the flesh? How proud? Does that not point to how we're living today? Do we see the pride in the nations and how they think they're in charge of everything? Are there who are those that's going to return mourn when Christ returns? Who are those? Go to John chapter nineteen. Let's just look at that real quick. Chapter nineteen. 37. <clears throat> another, and again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. Who is the they in this scripture? Look upon him whom they pierced. Who is they? Anybody got any ideas? Guess not. Nobody has an idea who they is? The Jews, the nation of Israel. There you go. I like that. Us, if we aren't doing what's been told, we're just as guilty. But they're going to look on him whom they pierced. Now go to Matthew chapter 27. Looking at verse 25. <clears throat> says, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Wow. Talk about the arrogance of man. Even the nation that was promised that they would have a portion of the kingdom rejected him. Is there any rejection going on today of the nation of Israel? Is there any today that want to wipe it off the face of the earth? You look at the Mediterranean basin. 
all the countries around the Mediterranean basin, North Africa on up to Turkey. They're Muslim. One little nation of Israel standing there by itself. And they are intent on wiping that nation off the planet. As a matter of fact, they've already drawn up new maps without the nation of Israel there. Isn't that interesting? Talk about arrogance. Talk about those that are not really prepared for him. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's an interesting story there. And it fits the type of the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And I'd like us to look at that. Let's go to Deuteronomy for a moment, to chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Because it's a familiar story. I'm sure you all are very familiar with it. But I want you to think about it. The type of the destruction of A.D. 70 under the Roman army, the general Titus. But also, I want you to look into it like I'm going to be looking into it as well, how the type fits today. How it applies to things today. Okay? Beginning at verse 47. And we'll read down to 52. It says, Because thou servest not Yahweh thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things. Think about that. Serve not Yahweh with joyfulness and gladness of heart. For the abundance of all things. Therefore thou shalt serve thine enemy, which Yahweh shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. Does that sound familiar? Does that make you think about the prophecy being fulfilled in A.D. 70 with the Roman army? Typified by the iron. It says, The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth. One of the symbols of the Roman army was the eagle. They had it on their banner, their, their flags, when they marched out into war. As swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. A nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor shall favor to the young. And he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land, until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thy kind, or flocks of thy sheep, until he have destroyed thee. One of the things about a Roman army is when they destroyed a city, and they took everything that they wanted to have, they plow it up and salt the ground. So they couldn't plant anything to grow because the ground was salted. It was worthless. Okay? 52. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy hand and high and fenced walls come down, wherein thou trustest throughout all thy land. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Didn't Christ just talk about this? Didn't we read about that earlier in Matthew? I say to you, none of these walls shall be standing. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which, thou, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thy hand enemy shall distress her. When they were under siege, they didn't have food. They actually ate. They actually ate their children. 
so that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eye shall be evil towards his brother and toward the wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave, so that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat, because he hath nothing left him in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee in all thy gates. By the tender and delicate woman among you, which would not adventure to set the sole of her foot again upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness, her eye shall be evil toward her, the husband of her bosom, and toward her son, and toward her daughter, and toward her young one that cometh out from between her feet, and toward her children which she shall bear, for she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness, wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee in thy gates. That's some ugly reading. But you know that's what happened. That was fulfilled when the Romans, under Titus, besieged Jerusalem, destroyed it. You know, when you think about in the type, today there are those who would devour one another just to get one-upness on them. They wouldn't eat them physically, naturally, but they would eat them spiritually. They would take advantage. We see it happening. We see them trying to twist our minds, try to take our thoughts away from the truth, away from the gospel. They seek to devour. Another indicator of these last days. And we hope these days will be quickly flying because we don't like to have that happen. We don't want to be challenged like that. But be prepared, brethren. You're going to be challenged even worse. You're going to be challenged in a way that you may not even think imaginable. I pray that you'll have the strength to endure because that's what a challenge is. A challenge is a test to endure. And we are tempted on all sides. We are tempted to, to set aside the truth for just a moment. We can just do this one thing and it'll be okay because we'll just go ahead and come back to, come back to being strong in the truth after that. That is an indicator of how the world is today how it's influencing us. And we have to be strong to withstand the wiles of the evil influences. <clears throat> Zechariah 12, verse 9 and 10. These are some really... I like Zechariah. I like reading Zechariah. I like reading Isaiah. I like reading Ezekiel. You know what? I like to read it all. But over in Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 9 says, There shall come to pass in the day when I'll seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Description of the return of Christ, the rescued, regathered nation of Israel is almost certain. 
So what about this question then, when we think about this? Down in Zechariah 13. It says, in verse 6, One shall say to him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And he would answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. You know, we can be guilty of wounding Christ by shunning the gospel. By putting aside the truth. By ignoring what we're supposed to do to be pleasing to our Heavenly Father. We can be guilty. Just as guilty. And today, it's even easier. The world has made it even easier for us to put aside those things. It's made it even easier for us to pierce Him. But you know, when you reflect upon it, and when you're tempted to do that, I pray that you're going to be pierced in your own mind and in your own thoughts and in your own intentions so that you won't. And the only way that you can do that and be prepared for that is to be that student of the Scriptures that will make you that strong. Because the influences of today's world are there to pull us down. It's so easy because they've made it so easy. It's so easy to sit down in front of a television set and watch whatever's on the television set that takes your mind completely off of what you should have it on to make you enjoy what the world's going to give you. You're piercing. You're piercing. So what a confrontation. Christ is there. Who are these that have pierced me? Who has pierced your hands? Those that were my friends. Those that were my friends. My brothers, my sisters. Those of the household. That's a pretty strong confrontation. And he won't hesitate to say it. Won't even hesitate. Go to Zechariah now, chapter 12. We were there a while ago. Verse 11 says, In that day there shall be a great morning in Jerusalem as a morning in Hedden Rimmon in the valley of Megiddo. A great morning for realizing that they were the ones that pierced him. They were the ones that were in the house. They were part of the household that put him down. Had nothing to do with him. And it's too late. It's too late. I never got to know you. Those are the ones that pierced me. Those are the ones that caused me to have grief. But he had love for them. He had us on his mind. He had those that would come centuries after him. He was preparing the preparingness for us. He was making it so that we could 
not be amongst those that would have to lament. In 2 Kings chapter 22, there's an interesting comparison here of what we're talking about. Chapter 22. Verse 1 and 2. We, we know the story of Josiah, King Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedediah, and is uh, the daughter of Adadiah of Boscath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Okay, this is a description of King Josiah, okay? But there was a tragedy with King Josiah. Go over to Second Chronicles chapter 35. Something happened. Beginning of verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against uh, Sharmash by Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent an ambassador to him, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, Forbear thee from meddling with God, who was with me, that he destroy thee not. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguise himself, that he might fight with him, and hearken not to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. But the archers shot at the king Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Have me away, for I am sore wounded. And his servants therefore took him out of that chariot, and put him in the second chariot that he had. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died, and was buried in one of the sepulchres of his father. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for him. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah, and all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah and their lamentations to this day, and made them an ordinance in Israel, and he beheld, and behold, they are written in the lamentations. Here was a king who, for 31 years, did what was right. And then he decided that he was going to go against the prophecy of Jeremiah to leave, to go down there and fight against this king Necho. Think about it. How he lived and did, had accredited to him that which was right. And he went and did that. There's a better description of this result in the Apocrypha. In 1 Esther 50, 28, 29, 32, it says, Josiah did not turn back his chariot from him, Pharaoh, but undertook to fight with him not regarding the words of the prophet Jeremiah, spoken by the mouth of the Lord, and all Jewry mourned for Josiah, yea, and Jeremy the prophet lamented for Josiah. They lamented for him because he had been doing what was right, but then he decided he was going to do it his own way. He was going to ignore what he had paid attention to for 31 years. There are some of us who have been in the truth 40, 50, or 60 years. At the last day, are we going to ignore what we have been trying to do and trying to live? An example here is what happened. That's a terrible thing. Think about that. What if we knew a brother or sister that had been in the truth for 50 years and they've been upstanding? They've been living the truth and proclaiming the truth and teaching the truth. And writing about the truth. Good standing. And all of a sudden, they dropped out of scene. They would say, I don't want 
the truth anymore. I've lived it for 50 years, and now I don't think it's right. The truth tells me I need to do this, but I don't want to do that anymore. I've done it for 50 years. I don't want to go and participate in the Bible schools or the gatherings. I've had enough of that for 50 years. I don't need to do that. I don't need to be strengthened or encouraged. I don't want any part of it anymore. I don't think it's necessary for me to assemble the first day of the week about the table to remember Christ. I've done that for 50 years. How would we feel? Would we feel remorseful? Would we feel saddened? Or would we say, well, I guess that's just the way he wants to do it. Will we try to encourage him to come back and become attentive and alert and realize what was wrong? Josiah was told, hey, wait a minute, you don't want to do this. He did it anyway. These days that are quickly flying before Christ shall return are the very same thing that can pull us away just as Josiah was pulled away. These things can make us feel prideful. These things won't make us humble. They'll make us feel prideful if we let them. And that's what we don't want to do. Because we need to be encouraged. We need to be ready. Zechariah 13, we just looked at that a while ago. Remember that. Because it's highly probable in our lifetime that we're going to see that prophecy fulfilled, which we read about. It's highly likely. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. Even if I'm not given a place to be in the kingdom, I'm excited for the kingdom age to be here. Because this earth needs to be straightened out. Mankind needs to be humbled and brought to their knees and to show respect to their creator, to show respect to the king that's going to rule this earth, to show them this is the way to walk you in it. Looking forward to seeing that happen. Are you? Look at 2 Corinthians for a moment. Chapter 5. Verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Is our conscience pricked? Is our conscience awakened? Are we conscious of what's going on? Do we find that that's what we want to see, that we want to have? Persuade one another to give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. 1 Corinthians 15:58 says to be you steadfast. It says to be unmovable. Always working in the service of the Lord. Always being ready. Being ready by being steadfast, by being tenacious, by being anxious and happy and joyful and ready for the kingdom. Look at these days that are quickly flying. If you don't think they're quickly flying, you're not looking at them right. Because they are. And they're calling in the kingdom. Romans 8, 24 and 25. 
Here's what it says. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. But what a man seeth, what doth he yet hope for? If you see that what you're hoping for, if you already see it, then why are you hoping for it anymore? Okay? But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Well, our time is up for this first period.